Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Mike, how you doing? It's Mark and AJ. First, I have to tell you that today I spent all day at the cardiologist, and I'm glad that he gave me a clean bill of health because it's a huge thrill for me to get right. and an honor to get to talk to you, one of the all-time great New York Rangers, part of the 94 Magical Rafter Four. Welcome to the show, Mike, and thanks for taking the time tonight out of your busy schedule to talk to us about your friend, teammate Brian Leach, the day after the Hockey Hall of Fame announced their class of the 2009 entries, which included uh, Brett Hall, Steve Eisenman, Luke Robitaille, and, of course, your good friend, uh, Brian Leach. So welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, how you doing? I'm sorry I got a little bit of trouble. Uh, you may have a hard time um, getting hold of me here because I'm on my cell and we're um, not great coverage here. Okay, but you can you right now we hear you okay. You hear us fine. It's not going to any tunnels. <laughs> yeah, are, are you guys? Are we on the air now? We're, We're live. On. Yes. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Okay. Good you, to talk to you. I can hear you. Oh yeah, great. Okay, so not only are you a teammate with the Rangers for, for such a long time, but you were also a teammate of Brian's on the '87, '88 U.S. national team. Do you remember your initial thoughts upon meeting Brian? I, I do. I, I first met him in the junior national uh, back in I think. Uh, 86 and uh, hilarious. I mean, he looked like he was about 10 years old. He was pudgy and uh, you know not particularly um, uh, intimidating at all. And he was absolutely unstoppable when we were practicing. You know, when you get to the junior national level, uh, you're as a goalie amazed at the uh, level of. of strength of the shooters and and it takes some time to to adjust and for brian it wasn't about strength and speed it was just about intelligence and uh and, and really kind of patience and and great kind of poise that maybe usually not there at a kid that age Interestingly enough, when you arrived at the National, both of you had already been drafted by the Rangers. You, number 28 overall in 85, and Brian, number 9 the following year. Did that create a special bond between you two guys at the Nationals? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he he, <laughs> he um, is just an easy kid to like. I mean, he's humble. He's he's uh, just easygoing. He's, he's uh, mellow on the ice and off. Um, so we became pretty darn good friends from the first time I met him. Um, but, uh, yeah, that does create a bond right away. You, you, you start to look around the locker room and on, a, on one of those junior teams and you'll be probably playing with or against those guys for years to come. And I was really happy that, um, Brian and I were in the same boat and, you know, you, then you think about it, you take a step back today and you go, wow, you know, that was a really nice foundation for a great organization. And I thought it was just so ironic. He was um, taken, and I think at the time people were going, who is this young defenseman of Cheshire Mass? I mean, he's 155 pounds or 60 pounds, whatever he was, and he's not that big, and he doesn't look particularly um, strong. Or what, you know, why would you take him in the first round? He's a little unproven. And um, Craig Patrick, you know, I think got fired later that summer. And uh, who would have known? He just drafted a uh, Hall of Famer right there. It's unbelievable. He gets his feet wet in the NHL with 17 games in 87-88. You follow getting a taste of the NHL in 88-89 playoffs the following year. And then both of you start your careers that would end with both of you having your numbers raised to the rafter. MSG right above my seats, ironically, at the Garden. Um, as a goaltender, you have a great vantage of everything playing out in front of you. 
over the years, you've seen so many defensemen, you know, for the Rangers in front of you. What made Brian so special and made him stand so far heads and tails above all those other Ranger defensemen? Um, I, I've said this before, and in some ways it's hard. I've heard that question asked about uh, Wayne Gretzky. Why was he so good? He wasn't particularly fast. His shot wasn't that hard. Um, he's not big. Uh, why does he have that much success? And I really think Brian was a defensive uh, kind of, uh, version of Wayne. He had incredible vision on the ice. He was incredibly competitive. He had great poise. You know, to me, Brian was a total package. I know he wasn't this big guy. I mean, you see him standing next to, like, an Eric Lindros or something like that. It was almost comical. But, you know, he's a really strong guy and an incredible athlete. So physically, you know, toughness comes in a lot of forms. And Brian wasn't going to drop the gloves and beat anybody up. But I tell you, he, uh, he wouldn't back down. He was always the guy targeted whenever anybody would dump the puck in and try to crush him and, you know, playing in the – early Patrick division one, they were trying to murder the kid because he was mobile and uh, great skater, great vision, smart shooter. I, I think his shot was the hardest, but he'd come in and often go short side high on goalies when he, you know, leaning the other way. And he, he just had that combination of incredible uh, physical skills, um, a real understanding of the game. So like mentally he really understood where he should be and could anticipate understood the game, the flow of it, and, and, and how to be a step ahead of his competition like Wayne. But emotionally, I think he was just perfect in terms of not getting upset, had a threshold of panic, you know, from here to high heaven, and um, was a great, great competitor. And, you know, it's funny seeing him next to a guy like Marc Messier, who was just, you know, you knew it with that scowl and that <laughs> stare and everything else. But Bri was just so quiet on the outside. You, you wouldn't know whether he was really happy or really mad or anything. Great poker face, but now I can tell you that kid was motivated and played hard every night, and I learned a lot, like how to be a professional from him. You know, he, he approached every practice like it was uh, seventh game, and maybe that's one of the reasons he was so damn good in those seventh games. He, 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 he was you know, used to that kind of mindset. Interesting, because, because let me ask this question on heels of that. Over and above talent, I believe in your career you've been blessed to play, I think it is now nine Hall of Famers, if I'm correct. I think it was Pat LaFontaine, uh, Mike Gartner, Yari Curry, Glenn Anderson, Mess, Gretzky, Luke Robitaille, Brian Leach, and I think in that one playoff game, Guy LaFleur also, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. these guys, I mean, that, that that's a tremendous talent pool right there. Uh, take skills out of it. Is there a special intangible that each of those guys had that kind of defined them over and above their talent? Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, it's a good question. What what does make somebody not just good but a Hall of Fame, a, a real kind of icon of the sport? And uh, if you work backwards from that, I don't think there's one person in the Hall of Fame or of that caliber that doesn't have a tremendous um, uh, mental and, and emotional set of skills. Clearly, all of them have to have physical skills. You have to have that to be in the NHL. But I played with guys in the minors and the NHL that had great skills, but it never really materialized. And I think, really, you're talking about what makes uh, someone great, what, what kind of uh, factors contribute to, to true excellence. And one thing you have to have is the ability to raise your game above the average player in the in the NHL. 
But to do so consistently, that's what really makes it. You know, Wayne Gretzky was incredible because he could go out and score five or six goals in a game sometimes. But the thing that blows me away about a guy like Brian or Wayne or Mark is that they played at the top echelon of their abilities very consistently. This wasn't, uh, wow, he had one great game in the middle of January and then you don't hear from him again. This guy was, you know, close to being a star every night that he played, you know, one of the three stars of the game. And they hold themselves to such a high standard and expect so much out of themselves. And it's the same in all sports, you know, a Michael Jordan, a Tiger Woods. Tiger doesn't have too many bad games. He's human. He'll make mistakes. He'll have bad games. It doesn't last long, though. His consistency is what sets him apart. Other people can win a given Masters or have a given great round, five under, or whatever it is. He is in the hunt all the time. And I find that about Brian. I find that about Mark. But Brian was one of those guys where every game he did something special where you go, wow, <laughs> that was great. It might have been something as simple as staying on the ice for 40 straight minutes, basically. And, and you know, you think about it. He was always shadowing the best player on the other team. The other team would always target him to hit him and, and get him out of the way. And he was logging so much ice time across seasons and, and, and games uh, in, in, within a year that he should have probably tailed off more than he did, but he didn't. He always found a way to elevate his game and even got better when the stakes were higher. You know, one thing that also I think can be attributed to all those guys also is modesty, and I think that also defines you because in that whole thing that you just said, Mike, that also described your career as the Rangers. You know, always one of the top three stars, always a money player. I mean, doesn't get more money than, you know, penalty shot against Pavel Burry in the biggest stage there is. So, you know, I, I don't want to sell you short by any means. I, I know we're, we're talking about Brian, but you absolutely fit in that category as well. And, and the four numbers that hang in the rafters, as I mentioned, above my seats at the Garden are a testament to one of the greatest leaders in the sport's history in Mark Messi, along with one of the greatest teammates in the sport in Adam Graves, as well as yourself, like I stated, one of the greatest money goaltenders in the NHL, and of course Brian Leach, one of the greatest U.S., if not the greatest U.S.-born defenseman in the sport. Did you have a sense of how special that core was at the time when you were playing? Well, you know, I think it was not so much just an objective understanding of, boy, these are a couple really great players. I did get that sense in 94 where, wow, you know, at the trading deadline, I think eight players were juggled around and you added some real great veterans and some great names and some real game breakers and Anderson and McTavish. And, but we kept accumulating not just talent but character. And I think that was it where we just felt, we have, um, you have to get that critical mass in any organization <clears throat> that allows you <clears throat> to not just have one guy like Mark saying, this is the way we do it. You need these kind of go-to soldiers, not just the captain, that, that are there doing the right thing, that believe in what the organization is about and does it. And I think Adam was just, you know, always there, just really loyal and and. and professional. And I think professional is a word that has to describe it, I guess, really. I mean, you look at the great teams, you look at the great dynasties, the Islanders uh, in the uh, 80s, the, the um, uh, Edmonton Oilers, you have guys that are professional, that, that they know what they need to do to make themselves play at their best and to give themselves the best chance of winning. And they do it. And 
it, you know, it's just, it's like the Vince Lombardi quote, you know, winning is not a sometimes thing. Excellence is not, you know, three, four, five times a week. It's seven days. And, and it's how you carry yourself on the ice, how you prepare in the off season. All those things are real vital ingredients to making you have long-term and consistent success. And I think, you know, Brian had so much maturity at a young age, he could kind of look and say, hmm, I need to get stronger, or wow, maybe if I'm fitter come into camp, I'll have a better time with the amount of ice time I'm lugging. And, you know, I think it was kind of funny because people used to think of him as a real gifted player, but, you know, is he really in great shape and is he a hard worker? And as he matured, he there was nobody more fit than he. I mean, this kid would just kill himself on the bike. He could take pain like I'd watch him block shots, break you know, ankles, wrists, and keep playing, go to the bench, throw up, and come back for another shift. And, uh, you know, it was just um, a real privilege playing with somebody who was that um, committed and, and, and that professional and, and, you know, wrapping that into somebody with that much talent. It's a pretty, pretty potent combination. Now, there's been so many beloved athletes in New York. However, I don't know if there were any more greater than the June of 94 with the four of you. What was that season like, having Brian Leach with you, due to the fact that you guys really came up together at a young age and then culminating in you know the end of the drought, you know, basically owning the town, basically owning the hockey world at that point? Because really, hockey, I think, has never really had the popularity it did right after that Devil, you know, Ranger Series, and, of, of course, uh, the Stanley Cup. What was that like for you and Brian? You know, it's funny because when we were younger, we always would just kind of shake our heads. Everybody knew how good Brian was, and, you know, we all thought we could be good, you know, great players in the NHL, but you don't know. You don't know what you're able to accomplish until you're actually in that position. And like all young players, I mean, you keep dreaming of doing that, and that, that, that hope keeps you... Uh, you know, working out hard in the summer and going to the rink after losses and putting yourself out there again and again. And um, I can remember talking about it. Can you imagine how incredible it would be to win here? Like, not just win anywhere, but win here with all the history and all the intensity of, of New York City. And we talked about it. And, uh, you know, between ourselves and in kind of quiet ways, I mean, we knew both that's what we wanted. <clears throat> but Mark was a real perfect kind of timing, perfect ingredient, because he was one of those guys saying, hey, let's not talk about this behind closed doors. Let's say, you know, let's go out there and establish yourself and um, get used to saying this is what we want, this is what we will do, this is what we are setting out to accomplish from day one. And any time that you come in, you know, anything but first place, it's been a disappointment, and, and that's the way you have to approach it. And so it was a really good kind of perfect mix. And, um, you know, I can tell you that, you know, when we did finally win it, it was, it was better than what we had dreamed. I mean, it really was something. And you know that that uh, ask anybody who's been through those things. It's, it's the journey that goes through it that really is so um, so incredibly uh, valued. And I even felt that with the with the people in the stands. You know, I mean, part of that history, the 54 years of not winning, played into the making that moment when it did happen that much more intense. I mean, if it had been, you know six years, it'd be great to win it. There's never good, there's never a bad time to win a cup, let me say, but uh, when there's, it seems like almost more on the line and the suffering was there, and, um, you know, the identity was, boy, can we get over this hump? It, it was a really kind of beautiful thing, so 
that time of our lives was amazing, and I just expected it took us a long time as an organization to get to know how to win as a group. And, um, man, I, I thought, okay, now we still have a young core, Zubov, Leach, uh, uh, Kovalev. I mean, that's a good group of players, but we probably changed, I think, eight players by the time next year came along and our coach. And, 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 a and a strike, right, and a lockout. Yep. Uh, of course, you know, we waited 54 years that we had to wait a half a season to raise the banner. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? I mean, it really was uh, almost comical. But it, it was. was uh, it absolutely was. All right, so you've been very active in your post-hockey career. You actually competed in the Ironman Triathlon at Lake Placid, um, which is yeah. swimming, biking, running. Uh, you did the race in 12 hours, 49 minutes. You also ran in the first New York City Marathon. And also you contemplating uh, running for Congress. So what what has uh, post-hockey life been like for you? Are you still thinking about politics? Uh, a, a lot of running. Um, well, you know, I think a couple <laughs> things. Just physically, it's it's nice to you really miss going to the rink and working out every day and having goals and, and physically putting yourself out there. And, you know, you, if you're no longer playing, in my case I was injured, um, it's good to have uh, something else that takes a little bit of that intensity and focuses it. I, I really enjoy those types of challenges. Um, I'm not a particularly, you know, gifted long-distance runner or swimmer or anything like that, but, it's, you know, again, it's kind of your own personal challenge, which is enjoyable. Um, as far as doing anything in the um, uh, political realm, um, you know, you think about it, it's kind of a nice circle. My entire career is supported by fans. It's the public that pays your salary, quite literally. And, um, you know, the, in the best sense, public service is, um, can be a great thing. It could be elected official government, it could be anything else. And right now, I've got a young family, and I, I would love to do it, but I don't think the timing's very good. So I'm, 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 I've got a great, great gig going downtown. It's a, uh, an investment firm that focuses on uh, green, uh, environmental, sustainable investments. And I'm learning a ton. I'm with great, great, brilliant people. And um, I, I'm enjoying it. And, and I can kind of exercise a lot of that public service by, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, volunteer work. I'm on boards of charitable organizations, which really, um, again, you know, there's a big, big world out there. And I loved where I was and miss it every day. And But you can't play it forever, so it's time for new challenges. And you try to throw yourself into them with as much determination as you had your first career. Excellent, Mike. Like I said, I'm glad the cardiologist cleared me today because this was a huge thrill for me. Um, and I, I want to thank you as a long-time season ticket holder and long-time suffering, waiting for that drought to end. You know, I'll never forget that night. Uh, it was uh, unbelievable. I'll never was, forget that was, season. It was, it was quite a night. That it night. was an amazing was, night. AJ was there as well. There. So it was. Uh, we want to both thank yeah. you for uh, one of the most memorable sports moments of my life. So and yeah. thank you so oh. much. I, I know you 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 squeezed us in on a very you know hectic thank schedule. You. So thanks so much, Mike. Hey guys. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Thanks a ton for having me. Thanks for the kind words. And you know, I guess it wouldn't have worked without the fans there. So I got to thank you for that too. So have a great night, and I appreciate it. All right, thanks so much, Mike Richter, the Stanley Cup okay. winning goaltender of the New York Rangers. Uh, yeah, do we need to 